You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, in our studios here in South London, uh, at the headquarters of Voice of Islam. And uh, today, well, just actually before we carry on to uh, our topic for the t- today, um, I'd like to remind all our listeners out there, because obviously we've seen the news uh, in the last couple of days regarding the weather and this extremely high heat. Uh, the Met Office and even Public Health England have issued extreme heat warnings. So um, don't take it lightly. Uh, I know, you know, go out and enjoy the weather, uh, enjoy the sunshine, but enjoy it in a safe manner. I mean, we just heard on the news there that unfortunately three uh, people have lost their lives because they've taken to the uh, rivers uh, and uh, waterways of the of the country to, I suppose, you know, just to get some relief from the heat. And uh, when you're not used to it, I mean, there are some rivers which are quite strong, quite fast moving uh, with the currents. So, yeah, be aware. But, um, you know, to beat the heat, uh, the UK Health Security Agency tell us that look after yourself, uh, older people and the young. So look after those or keep in contact with those of a vulnerable, uh, in a vulnerable category. Uh, listen to the weather forecast and the news for all updates, because I do believe, like today, uh, as I was driving into the studio, it was around about four, uh, sorry, around about thirty-six degrees on my uh, uh, temperature, my car's temperature. Uh, so we are looking to hit something in the region of forty degrees by tomorrow. Um, plan ahead to avoid the heat, so try to give yourself enough time to get to places, uh, just in case you know, you've, you know your car overheats or whatever transport, because everything is unfortunately slowing down. Um, just take a breath if you're stuck in a, in a traffic jam, and uh, really, if you are traveling by car, remember to take some water with you. Uh, drink plenty of water, uh, fluids, uh, avoid excess uh, alcohol, um, dress appropriately for the weather, uh, slow down when it's hot. Um, obviously, uh, imperatively, you know, find somewhere cool, know how to keep your home cool. So there's a lot of tips out there. Uh, you know, draw your curtains um, in each room which is facing the sun. Uh, avoid actually opening up the doors if the outside temperature, uh, air temperature, is actually hotter than your interior temperature. Uh, go indoors or outdoors, whichever uh, feels cooler. Uh, and I made the point about cars. Cars get hot. Avoid closed spaces. So those are uh, some words from the UK Health uh, Security Agency as to keeping yourself safe during these during this hot weather, this hot spell. Uh, but uh, moving on to our topic of the day, so we're going to devote two hours to this. So this is a very important topic uh, in itself. You know, women's rights. Who actually decides them? Now, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mizra Tahir Ahmad, His Holiness, uh, urges Muslim women to understand their faith and states that Islam has granted true equality between the sexes. So there is this perception that um, you know some Islamic countries actually uh, you know subjugate their their, their their women 
uh, and treat them as almost uh, second-class citizens. But in true Islam, that isn't the case. I mean, when His Holiness elaborated upon the high status of women in Islam, uh, he explained that historically some other religions have made false and disparaging claims regarding women. Uh, some other uh, women, such as the assertion that women did not possess a soul even, uh, were born sinners and even that they were the root of evil. Uh, if you look at, uh, I suppose, the, the, the idea of Adam and Eve uh, in Christianity, that um, Adam was tempted and the, the original sin uh, you know, is tempted, and uh, thus uh, both he and uh, Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. So there is that, I suppose, that that uh, perception that uh, women uh, in some uh, religions, in some aspects of religions, are viewed as um, you know the embodiment of sin. Now, Islamic teachings are crystal clear that women are not inferior to men in any way, shape or form. Uh, thus, where the Holy Quran mentions believing men, it also mentions believing women. This is true equality. When we compare and contrast the status bestowed upon women in Islam compared to other religions, it really truly is like night uh, and day. Um, some examples of this in recent history uh, in France, France has banned the bikini. Now, France's highest administrative uh, court has upheld a ban on full-body bikini swimsuits in public uh, pools, rejecting an appeal by the city of Grenoble. And, uh, yeah, you might wonder, well, why, why is that the case? Because, you know, it, it, it seems contradictory to me uh, to do something like that when you're in a secular state. I mean, you have the right, uh, you know, in, in the French... Uh, in France, sorry, of freedom of speech. Why is there not a freedom of choice of dress? And it's not as if um, this type of dress, the bikini, is, uh, how can I say it, is, 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 is threatening in any way, shape or form. Uh, it's used um, to, I suppose, regarding the, 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 the wearer, Right, whoever chooses to wear a bikini, it allows them to partake, uh, you know, whether it be at the beach, whether it be at their local swimming pool, uh, and keep their modesty. So it's 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 it seems a bit of a, a contradiction uh, to me regarding that. But um, as we know, bikinis are worn largely by Muslim women. Uh, as a way of preserving, like I said before, modesty and upholding their faith and being true to their faith. French opposition to the bikini stretched as far back as 2016 when local or several local uh, local municipalities, municipalities attempted to outlaw it on beaches for violating the country's strict separation between religion and state. So that's using, I suppose, one way of uh, you know using a, one of their laws to to i suppose you know subjugate a, a part of the population now his holiness uh, the worldwide leader of the uh, head sorry i should say of the Ahmadiyya muslim community mr taha ahmed uh, may allah strengthen his hand 
has noted that those nations considered to be extremely modern and developed are seen to be championing the rights of women, yet the fact that they failed to provide women with any rights whatsoever until modern times is often overlooked. Uh, when the men of these non-Muslim nations finally chose to grant some rights to women, it was done more to show that they were in favour of equality, whereas the truth was that their slogans in favour uh, in favor of women were often hollow and uh, insincere. Any rights, uh, any rights gained, uh, granted to women in recent times have been the result of necessity rather than any true deep desire for progress and also uh, as a means for the men to fulfill their own selfish desires. Uh, now, uh, this is something that history has proven time and time again. And uh, I suppose more recently we've seen the overturning of uh, the Roe versus Wade um, Roe versus Wade uh, decision in the US. Uh, we'll talk further more uh, regarding that. But uh, uh, to talk more regarding women's rights and uh, the issues pertaining to that, I'm joined by my first guest of the afternoon, Ruth Stute, uh, sorry, Stutgen. Now, Ruth is a uh, coach and trainer uh, and host of Inspired Woman TV. Peace be upon you. Uh, good afternoon, Ruth. Or actually, it must be good morning for you, Ruth. Thank you for joining me on the Drive Time Show. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's uh, quarter past one in the morning here, so mm -hmm. I'm actually in your future. <laughs> uh, that's something to, 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 to ponder about, Ruth, actually. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, but we're talking about women's rights, and actually, you know, most of the laws that uh, govern women, you know, aren't actually truly, I suppose, brought about uh, or actually brought into law by women, really. It's actually brought in by male uh, society. But, yeah, more about regarding your work here. What does your work as an empowerment coach and trainer involve? And, uh, in what ways is it that this training uh, that this training is meant to support the development of women? Okay, so I help women gain confidence in who it is that they are and what their worth is. That's what my empowerment coaching is. And I come from a background myself of um, having been in a domestic violent relationship, okay. and my confidence was just you know went down to practically zero. And upon that, I then um, was guided to start coaching women to become more confident, to gain self-confidence as well, and to just lift their self-esteem. So I got, what I do is I, in my coaching is I guide them to stand in their power to create what it is that they want in life, mm -hmm. whether it's in their business or careers or just in their family lives as well, so that they can actually make a difference in society. Mm -hmm. and that they can lead within their lives and their family lives and community as well. Mm. So, so do, you, do, you know, do, you, do you actually, is it more of a bespoke solution then that you give uh, so that obviously, you know, everyone's different? Uh, the, yes, the, the examples you've just given, whether it be in their business, whether it be in their family life or in their social life. Uh, so yes. is it, it's, it's not just one rule or one fits all. No, definitely not, because as you say, it is bespoke and we all have different um, backgrounds, different traumas, different mindsets as well that we have to, um, or that we want to work on as well. 
So, um, you know, if you have a mindset of being um, a lesser person or, um, interestingly enough, I was also in growing up in South Africa, I had that that mindset that I was, you know, we, we grew up in a society where race was different, you mm-hmm. know, people of color, uh, white people, etc. So all those kind of mindset work is very deep seated. So a lot of my work is working on mindset as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and through hypnotherapy, through breakthrough sessions, we work on that. And then upon that, they can then break through the paradigms and break through their old habits and mindsets that they've been born into in, in their society as well, um, especially, you know, in um, non-Western cultures and also in, in Western cultures because mm. everyone lives mixed up now, don't we? Mm. So, um, it's a, and it's a lot about uplifting and encouraging them that despite any traumatic past or any disadvantage in society, that we can, as women and not just women, that we can turn our lives around. Our past doesn't define us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you, I mentioned in your uh, introduction that you also host a TV show called Inspired Women. Um, yes. Could you just tell us a little bit about the objectives of Inspired Women and uh, you know, what sort of things do you explore in that TV show? Is it an extension of your work uh, as you do as a, uh, a coach and trainer? Yes, it, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of uh, Inspired Woman TV is to uplift and encourage and to support women and girls um, to and to give them hope that you know that they can that they're not alone and whatever it is that they're going through or have gone through that there is at least one woman on this planet that have gone through something similar mm-hmm. and it's just to uplift and encourage them. And that was an extension um, that the TV program or show came about when I uh, produced a coffee table book with over 250 women from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And there were girls in there as well as, uh, as as young as, I think, nine or seven years old at the really? time when we published. Okay. And they were able to provide some very inspirational messages and um, from that Inspired Woman TV came about. So the book was called, or is called, for uh, the book of inspiration for women and uh, for women by women. Um, so in that show, I interview women um, and women in business, women in leadership, and we talk about what they do, what they stand for in their life, and what it is that they have to offer to the world. So they get to share their stories and their gifts. Um, and at the same time, they get uh, exposure on a global scale as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, do you find that uh, with your uh, your I suppose viewership, you know, the people that watch uh, your show, uh, inspired women, and actually those that you deal with uh, on a one to one basis, are the majority of them uh, women who have actually had some detrimental effect because um, of whether it be uh, some type of abuse, whether it be uh, physical abuse or mental abuse, and you know, feel that they have been, I suppose, you know, uh, rated as second-class people. Yeah, or you know, do you feel that actually there's 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 a percentage of uh, women out there who, even though they haven't, you know, conformed to, I suppose, the stereotype of someone who has been mm-hmm. abused. 
come come to you for advice? It's not just uh, for women who have been abused. Mm-hmm. It's also for women who have been through any traumatic um, experience in their lives, and it doesn't uh, doesn't just defy, uh, you know encompass abuse. Mm-hmm. It's also women who. Um, have had certain illnesses or who maybe have lost um, maybe children or parents or have been in traumatic accidents. Um, uh, women who go through things are what are happening in society right now, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, inequality and uh, the gender, the gender disparity and um the inequality in, in that sense as well with a pay gap and things like that. So, and there's a lot of women who just want their voices to be heard and just want to pass on. It's like a baton. I like to think of it as a baton mm-hmm. that we pass on to the next woman or the girls. And uh, we're creating legacies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just want to make sure that the women who come after us and the girls that come after us, that they, they have a clear way. And I, I, I imagine, I mean, you know, I think that somehow with all the things that are going on in the world now, where there's a lot of um, voices happening, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure whether um, in, in light of Roe versus Wade, Wade yeah. you know, yeah, it's it, all the good work is almost being undone by that. Mm, by decisions mm, like mm. that. I mentioned you know? that at uh, the top of the show, you know, the implications of that uh, that case being overturned by the Supreme Court. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, what are your feelings regarding that? Because, you know, although uh, it does mean that separate states or individual states in the U.S. Uh, are f- now free to legal or, you know, are free to say that, you know, no abortion is illegal or legal. And I think the split is roughly half and half. Um, mm. But to actually have such a... Uh, landmark case be overruled um, would kind of point out or point as to like you said you know these these um, rights I mean and it should be just a normal right yeah the the control of your own body uh, be taken away from you I mean what's your what's your take on that well you know I totally agree that we shouldn't have our rights taken away from us because it's 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 a human right, yeah. Mm-hmm. That we have a free, we have the freedom of choice, um, uh, but then the religion religious aspect aspects come into that as well. You know, we we want to preserve life. However, it's always to be. I feel that it should be looked on as a case, or looked upon as a case on a case by by case basis, mm-hmm. because. You know, they could be, it's so personal as well. Mm-hmm. And that right is being taken away. And it, and I feel I feel it's really sad, um, especially for the young ones now, because now we're at that point where we believe we have that right to choose what's mm-hmm. right for us, um, we, to choose our particular lifestyles, the way we want to live, um, and and basically, I think we all want peace, and we all want um, prosperity, and we want to live together in love and peace, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, what what's happened now is people are not peaceful. They don't feel that they live in a loving society. 
Mm, mm, I totally well, I totally agree with you there. Whether it be from a female or male perspective, yeah. I mean, you, you want to just yeah. live in equity, really.、Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, we see this uh, inequity, uh, whether it be、mm. uh, female inequity,、uh, poverty、yeah. in the world. I mean, there are these you know great well, I wouldn't say greater issues, but just、uh, I think you pointed it out、uh, initially that there's so many issues. Uh, globally, that、uh, we、mm. have to deal with, it's like, well, actually, where does women's rights kind of like is is in that list? But、um, you know, is it a priority now? Does it drop down on the list? And you know, are there more? Unfortunately,、uh, that's that's how it seems to me. I mean, you know, women,、uh, you know, seem to be tirelessly speaking out、uh, regarding their rights. Uh, mm. I mean, is it falling on deaf ears currently, Ruth? I mean, where does the onus lie on moving towards,、uh, you know, this fairer, equitable society? I think it's, you know, it's it's it lies on everybody really,、mm-hmm. because we've got, you know, it's history, but it's also the future that we have to look at. So it's not just on the women; it's on the leaders and and the society itself. Mm-hmm. And you know, teaching kids from when they are babies, or showing them how it should be—not teaching them, but showing them how it should be—so that they can grow up and feel and know that they're doing the right thing.、Mm-hmm. So, and, and I feel we ca- we we can't not take charge. The women and the leaders can't not take charge and speak up about what we want. And and I and I think too that we've come a, lo- a really long way,、mm-hmm. and so much has happened. Um, and improved, and yet it's still not enough. And now, now the lid has come off, and we're tired of not being heard.、Mm-hmm. We want to see action, yeah. Yeah. But、true. unfortunately, for some reason, I think certain occurrences, like the American, what's happened in America,、mm-hmm. they're taking the rights away from those women,、mm-hmm. and it just seems to be taking us further back into、uh, further back into the dark past. Mm-hmm. We've gained the power over the years. For example, we're much better educated now,、mm-hmm. um, and in many, in many instances, we are on par with men, men, and even more educated than some men.、Mm-hmm. And yet, we're still not equal. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's kind of we've taken so much society with in the scientific field and everything. We've gone, and and if I believe. That God has given us this opportunity to grow in massive ways,、mm-hmm. yet we've just gone back.、Mm. You know, almost like we've gone back decades and yeah, hundreds. Yes, it's, it's of years. the old saying: "One step forward, two steps back," isn't it, Ruth?、Yeah. Unfortunately, regarding yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Too, yeah, I, yeah, I think、mm. um, it's it's、uh, such a such a problem and such an issue that it actually isn't down to individual organisations. It is structural,、no. and it has to be、uh, addressed by、uh, governments and all of us、uh, in society. But、uh, yeah. Ruth, it's been a pleasure talking to you today.、Uh, thank you for joining、uh, myself on the Drive Time Show, and、uh, you can now go to bed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am already in bed. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I suppose this is one of the 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 the, the things of a modern. Modern technology now, in I suppose COVID as well. Everyone's like zooming, and you could be、uh, doing whatever you wanted to, and、uh, just <laughs> that's、whatever. right. No, that's th- thank that's you very、right. much.、Uh, have have、so、a good evening. Talking to you. <laughs> thank you, and you have a good day too. Thank you, Ruth. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. 
0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. I'm going to go straight to my next guest uh, to talk more regarding women's rights and who actually gets to decide them. So I'm joined by Ifat Mirza, who is a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, Women's Association and uh, a PhD student. Uh, peace be upon you. Uh, Ifat, thank you for joining me on the Drive Time Show today. Yes, I'm welcome. Zakla for having me. So, we're talking about, and I just spoke to Ruth uh, regarding women's rights and actually who gets to decide them. Now, you know, I pose you the same question as, or one of the questions that I posed to Ruth, that uh, women seem to be tirelessly speaking about their rights, uh, but is it actually falling on deaf ears? You know, where does the onus lie on moving towards a fairer society? And I'll give you a context for that. Uh, question. Uh, so, so if we we look at the U.S., for instance, um, mm-hmm. and with uh, I think I can't exactly remember when, but uh, Harvey Weinstein, yeah, and he obviously his actions instigated the hashtag Me Too uh, mm-hmm. um, movement on social media, and there was uproar regarding that, and you know this this uh, denigration of females within the industry. And then subsequently, you know, a couple of years later, now we have the Supreme Court in the U.S. overturning Wade versus Roe. So, you know, is it really falling on deaf ears, in fact? Um, well, <laughs> that's an interesting question because sometimes it does feel like where we kind of, you know, go two steps forward, we take one step back. Or sometimes it's, you know, one step forward, two steps back. And mm. it, it does feel a bit like... No, yes, women are kind of um, fighting for their rights, and then they, they might achieve one thing, but in doing so, they'll achieve another, um, lose another thing. So, for example, you know, um, Roe v. Wade. If we're looking at that, that was like um, like the 1970s, 75 or 76, if I'm mm-hmm. remembering correctly. Um, you know, and at the time, it was a huge victory for women that kind of like right to be able to um, to be, to be able to you know control their own bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, less than a year ago, um, feminists, especially U.S. feminists, I suppose, were celebrating that we now have the first female uh, vice president. Yeah. And that felt like, like a victory. But actually, mm-hmm. it, it's quite worrying then that it was under that government that this right has now been stripped. So mm-hmm. it, it, that there is kind of like there's kind of two steps forward, one step back. Uh, which I suppose is still one step forward, but actually for other people that might be one step forward, two steps back, which is still one step back. Um, <laughs> We're getting into the technicalities now, but yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. But what, you know, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, where, where women win in one place, they lose in another, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's a greater loss than what the win was. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, 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 yeah, in some cases, actually, yeah, those cries for um, kind of greater equality or greater understanding um, are falling on deaf ears. Um, but I don't think it's so much that the ears are deaf um, in terms of through an inability to listen, rather that um, there's a lack of willingness to listen to um, certain demands by women because those certain demands um, threaten some sort of hierarchy of power. So, you know, you can have um, in any organisation um you know, you could you could have a female CEO or, or a vice CEO or, or you know vice president of the company. I wouldn't even know if vice CEO exists, mm-hmm. <laughs> but 
Um, but, you know, if, if, if she's not a woman who's serving the interests of the company, then it doesn't matter if mm-hmm. she's there or not. And, and I think that's the same thing with kind of like organizations and governments and, and anything like that, where, um, it, you, know, you know, being a woman isn't enough. You need to be a woman who upholds the status quo. And unfortunately, that's but don't a you, patriarchal but, status but, quo. But if I, don't you feel that, say, for instance, I know this sounds a bit bizarre to talk of women as being a minority they're not right um they populate you know they, 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 let's say they're like you know exactly half of the population right but in terms of their rights aren't they very similar to a minority group in the sense that they have to fight for those rights and continually fight you know, continue that yeah. fight, right? Yeah. So, so that would be underrepresented a group then in that, you know, technically by numbers, yes, they know they're not a minority, but they are in certain sectors treated like a minority. So, you know, yeah. so, so then, you know, how can we or how can society instigate change? Because if the structure that we are brought up in teaches us this or, yeah. you know, um, and we don't see it because that's the way we were taught. It's the social mores that we have grown up with, uh, particularly, say, in the Western culture. Then how do we really, you know, um, you know, we can't say, OK, let's just have revolution and start again. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be chaos. So how do we, you know, um, how do we change that structure, whether it be the political structure, whether it be you know the workplace structure right how do we how do we get through um everybody needs to take it as a personal responsibility to to, to be able to do that so mm-hmm. um you know for example okay so i as a woman um it would be my responsibility a to be able to make full use of my my rights and my freedom so that means you know um trying to become as educated as possible, trying to integrate into society and be an active member of the community so that, um, and and the the reason it's so important for women to do this is because younger girls will look up to the women around them. So they'll look up to their mums, their aunts, their sisters, uh, you know, all of that sort of stuff. That's why it's really, really important. But then also it's incredibly important for men to do, and to, to, to encourage the women in their life to be able to do that. And that doesn't necessarily mean just a, oh, yeah, sure, you can do it. But actually, um, you, know, so for, you know, for fathers to, to teach their daughters that they can mm. you know, enter certain things, that they can do what they've set their minds to. Mm-hmm. And then, again, not just doing that in your own household, but then um, in your workplace. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you... Um, even you know things like you know bring your child to work day. Mm-hmm. They can be important for you know young people to see what their parents do at work. And you know if, if you know if somebody does does bring their daughter, let's say their five year old daughter to work, she goes to work with her dad, and she sees that you know this room is full of men. Mm-hmm. She's automatically going to assume, well, okay, this probably won't be a place for me when I'm older. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's quite important. And actually, we do. Oh, you know, I'm not saying you know hire a woman just because she's a woman, but. Mm-hmm. What you will realise actually, there's there's more than enough qualified women out there who can mm-hmm. do that job to not unfairly discriminate against women when you know in mm-hmm. the job interview process or in the and um, any sort of other kind of um process in which you know allow women to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then of course you need it on like a, a political structural level. So that's when you need 
um, women's voices in in you know in parliaments and Congress, things like that across the world. Because um, if you don't, then what you'd end up having is a bunch of men making decisions for fifty percent of the population. Mm, mm, exactly. I mean, and, and I think that's the point I'm trying to get to is yeah. that actually that's where we have to change, is that uh, yeah, the decision-makers have to become uh, those mm-hmm. a, a part of the, the solution. Now, mov- yeah. moving on to my next question. So yeah, I, I pointed out uh, the, um, I suppose, kind of like uh, roundabout way regarding the bikini ban in France uh, since mm-hmm. tw- uh, 2016. Now, the hijab and the veil are, are seen as a symbol of oppression and patriarchy in Islam or perceived that way. As a w- Muslim woman, how would you respond to this? Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those debates that I'm just a bit tired of now mm. because it's just the most um, uh, tedious point to continuously bring up, which just the more I try to understand it, the less I do, actually. Mm. Um because because how, it's how commonsensical, people... right? To to us well, that yeah, pra- practice I mean... Islam or true Islam, where uh, women's rights are equal to men's, and the understanding of the veil and the hijab is such that actually it is regard. It's a moot point because all it is is modesty, right? Exactly, it's such a moot point. And I mean, okay, obviously, you know, for example, there, there are countries, so-called Islamic countries, where women are forced to wear the hijabs. You know, for example, now with the the reinstation of you know the Taliban rule in, in Afghanistan, that is something that women are having to face. They're like, of course, that that's a problem. But you don't have to be a genius to know that that's not happening in the name of Islam. That is a terrorist organization. Mm. Who, but what know, about Iran then? I'll, I'll be the devil's advocate. What, what about Iran? <laughs> Well, I mean, but like, if you look at that, that's also Iran's been an Islamic country for hundreds of years now. Mm-hmm. This only started happening after the 1970s. What else was happening in the 1970s? The Russian invasion, the Cold War, hypercapitalism and hypercommunism. Like, like th- these things aren't coincidental mm-hmm. that all of this kind of happened, and you had this reactionary government which was kind of instated. Um, so. What, what, what I'm trying to say is, yes, I know that in certain parts of the world, the hijab is unfortunately used as a tool of patriarchal oppression. Is that Islam using it as a tool of patriarchal oppression? Absolutely not, because mm-hmm. you have the opposite happening where, you know, like you say, in France now, you know, the, the, the hijab is such a contentious topic. The burkini yeah. is that. Why yeah. on earth is the burkini banned? I can't wrap my head around that. I, like, I don't understand why somebody would be so offended by the idea of a woman having a dip in a swimming pool but not wanting her body to be on show by them. I, I believe that uh, in, in terms of French uh, or the French um, constitution or their mm-hmm. rules and regulations that actually there is should be a separation in the, pub, uh, in the population regarding uh, uh, state and religion. I, I see that, but I, I look. I'm not trying to explain it. I'm just. I'm just trying to state what their their, their no, stand I, I, is and which kind no, of rules that they're using to to that. instigate this. But I think well, that's quite. Like I, I'm all for separation of church uh, or religion and state because mm-hmm. I think that that's quite important actually for you know for for the progress of both both the state and the religion. But um, if your understanding of religion is that 
women who choose, well, not the understanding of religion, but understanding of women, is that if she is covering her body, that's automatically a symbol of religion. You actually have to reckon your own understanding of women, mm-hmm. body, um, and and consent, because by that action you're making promiscuity and um, nudity the norm. Exactly. And it's not. <laughs> like, I don't understand why it would be. Um, you know, you you wouldn't question that if it were winter versus summer. Like, you know, it, it it's this, and it's a very old colonial idea that what we do here in Europe is the correct thing. Mm-hmm. And everything else is a a symptom of somebody else's and it, well, basically, the, the, the simple way of saying it is that what we're doing is correct and what you're doing is exactly. incorrect, basically. Exactly. And if, if you look at those pictures, I think when this first blew up, I think like in 2015 or 2016, of that mm-hmm. woman on the beach being <laughs> told off by the policeman, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the, the irony of you coming along and being like, oh, I'm going to go and save this woman from her oppressive religion by telling her she's not allowed to wear what she's wearing. Mm. You know, like, like, how do you not see the irony of that? Like, in one place, you know, you're you're acting like the hero, but who are you saving other than your own ego? Mm. Well, actually, I don't think you're even saving your ego. You're actually underlying your stupidity in a sense. Really. No, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but it's the stupid. Yes, um, yes, if the no, shoe fits. Absolutely, you know, it's it, it's such like like you said, it's a moot point. It's a tiresome debate, mm. and it's a debate which ignores Muslim women's voices. So, you know, I'm quite frankly, I'm I'm fed up with it now. I'm, mm. I can't, keep, you know, like, um, you know, there's a difference between somebody genuinely wanting to learn, and I've I've had that, I've done that, mm. and, I, and I will continue to do that. But if you not you, but if one <laughs> were mm-hmm. to tell me that I'm oppressed by wearing it, I, I will tell you that I'm not. But if you mm-hmm. want to keep on believing it, then crack on because I can't change mm-hmm. your mind. Mm-hmm. You, you, by you choosing not to believe that, that, that is you exhibiting your own patriarchal values of choosing to ignore my voice as a woman and, and just assuming that I don't know what's right for myself and assuming that I, you know, I'm the sheep who has to be you know, told what to do by my mm. father or my brother or my husband or whatever. And and then that's on you. If if you can't mm. see me as an autonomous voice, that you can't see any woman as an autonomous voice. And that that's your problem at that point. Mm. And I think the point, uh, maybe kind of like looking down into it or drilling down into what you've just said to me is that actually it's not the female or the Muslim females uh, problem is actually the male's problem. Mm. Uh, yeah, but, and I'm tired of people making it my problem. Mm, exactly. Well, uh, Ifat, thank you. It's been always a pleasure to talk to you on the Drive Time Show. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you. Have a good day. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at voiceofislam.co.uk. Um I wanted to continue that uh, discussion with Erfad, but uh, I've actually got my next guest online, uh, Eva Tabassum. And uh, Eva is a director of the Gender Action for Peace and Security. She's worked across Europe and the Middle East, focusing on youth participation, gender, human rights and refugee law. Peace and blessings be upon you, Eva. Uh, Thank you for joining me on the Drive Time Show. 
Hello, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so we're talking about women's rights and uh, actually who gets to decide them. Now, Gender Action for Peace and Security, uh, GAPS for short, is the UK's Women, Peace and Security Civil Social, sorry, Civil Society Network. Now, could you tell us uh, and my li- or our listeners a bit more about your work and what you do and the actual ob- objectives that you aim to achieve? Yeah, sure. Um, so... We are a member organisation, member organisation, international NGOs, um, peace building organisations, and women's rights organisations. Mm-hmm. We uh, were founded to progress the uh, United Nations Security Council Resolution 1325, um, which was on women, peace, and security. And essentially, our role is to promote and hold the UK government to account um, on its international commitments to WPS, which mm-hmm. is Women, Peace and Security, as well as women and girls in conflict areas worldwide, um, and as well as at home. Um, and we do this by working with our members uh, and our global partners. Mm-hmm. So, the uh, main objective is kind of highlighting realities of women and girls living in conflict Okay, so you know, you said that you know one of your main priorities is to place women's peace and security at the you know at the centre of your campaign and to hold mm. the government to boot. So actually, how how do you actually do that then? So, for example, the UK is a pen holder for the UN Security Council on three two five. So they you know they um, kind of were there when they adopted this resolution, looking at how do we ensure that women are uh, at the negotiation tables, are they, that they are participating in all levels of social and political life. Mm-hmm. And so what we try to do is we try to, knowing that the government has signed up to this resolution and they do their work on BPS, so we as an organisation... Uh, after the critical front of the UK government and ensure that their commitments are set. Mm. Sorry, Eva, but you've got we've got a very bad line with you. Uh, there's a lot of echoing. Hello, Eva? In fact, the line was so bad that it seems to be cut off here. Uh, maybe we can get back to Eva later on. Um, but in terms of uh, women, uh, the, the security, uh, uh, the peace and security uh, gender action, one of the points I was trying to make to her was that actually how do we hold the government uh to, to task when they don't actually um, when they don't actually meet those criteria. I think we've got Eva back on the line. Eva, are you back with us? Yes, I am back. Can you hear me now? Oh, loud and clear now. Loud and Great. clear. Great. Apologies. No, no, no. It's always the case uh, with technology nowadays. So, going on to my next question, Eva. Yeah, for peace building, you, know, you consider the role of women to be essential. And it, it, and it truly is. Now, how can governments and leaders ensure that there is rep- representation from w- women when decisions on guarantees of peace are made? Because it seems to me pointless having rules made, uh, and this is the core of our topic today, You know, having rules made uh, for women, but they're not, actually not made by women. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I mean, our, we very much advocate for any policy or programming that's being made that looks at women and girls, uh, their needs, their rights, they speak to women and girls. They ensure that, for example, if we're looking at peace processes, are they there at the table? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they being included in the delegations? And that's not, um, you know, from the you know from the country that took a peace, but also the those who are going there to to initiate that process. Um, mm-hmm. It's ensuring, for example, that you know consultation with women's women uh, rights activists, women's groups, civil society. You know that they're there, that they are also being spoken to at the very beginning and not just at the end of implementation. You know, mm-hmm. often you see women being kind of put in certain uh, parts of the process and they're not there from the very beginning to the very end. Mm. Um, but there's also ensuring that, you know, yes, facilitate consultation, facilitate this kind of engagement with them, but actually listening to what they say mm-hmm. and not just saying, oh, this is a kickbox exercise. We've listened to the women and we've got their points on the, you know, on record and that's it. Um, it's really about actually meaningfully engaging with women and understanding their needs and their rights and also understanding the fact that, you know, women rights organizations, civil society, they're the ones on the front line responding uh, to, to the needs. You know, so they need the support. They know what's going on. They are your uh, intel on what's happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. As opposed to being just window dressing for anything that comes right. up, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, 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 Eva, often, you know, in places where there is an ongoing conflict, uh, you know, unfortunately, it is the women and the vulnerable and the minorities whose rights tend to be neglected and, uh, and in fact, abused. You know, what is, you know, gaps uh, in col- collaboration with governments and charities? You know, what do you do to ensure that, you know, this this isn't happening? Yeah, so we always ask for an analysis um, of any crisis, conflict, anything that's happening. You know, take, for example, the Ukraine situation. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing we would say is make sure that your response is gendered. And how do you do that? You, you, you ensure that you're looking at the different needs of different groups on those on the ground. Um, you know, ensuring that you cater to that, to your humanitarian packages. Um, you know, even looking at COVID, for example, you know, a shadow pandemic was GBV and a lot of people failed to recognize that was happening because their responses were not gendered. And so often what we always try to do is whether we're, whether it's ourselves or with, we're working with, say, for example, organization, grassroots organizations on the ground, especially women's organizations, you know, we feed or we try to access, uh, give them access to decision makers or to those who are facilitating crisis response. So there's this engagement between the both about actually what are the needs of the vulnerable and the minorities. So we really try to not take up the space, but give that space to those that need the access yeah i totally agree with that well eva uh thank you it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon uh on drive time show thank you for joining us thank you thank you take care have a good day 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at voiceofislam.co.uk and um i suppose that is the that is the problem, and I think uh, talking to you know the guests uh, that have come on the show so far, uh, it's not about 
being a part of just the process, whether it be uh, determining new laws or amendments to laws regarding women's rights, is actually, uh, I think, just now with Eva, uh, not being or having to be or being a part of the process from you know from the start, from the instigation of. Uh, whether it be an amendment to policy, new legislation, and actually being uh, a part of that process from beginning to start, as opposed to uh, having policymakers or you know male policymakers in these rooms iron out something, uh, decide on what it is, and then um, give it to you know uh, a committee uh, to to give it the rubber stamp at the end. Um, you know, there's no point in that. Uh, to tell the truth but uh, to speak more regarding women's rights and in terms of you know islam how uh, true islam views women's rights i'm joined by samara Tariq. now samara is a phd student in south asian history at the royal holloway college she's also a life devotee of the Ahmadiyya muslim community peace be upon you uh samara thank you for joining me on the drive time show thank you for having me so just a uh, uh, straight into it, you know, it, you know, Islam, I suppose, because of how certain countries um, practice Islam, uh, gives Western society this, I suppose, this skewed look as to uh, how um, we treat uh, women in, uh, in this religion. But the institution of marriage is actually a very important component of women's rights. Now, how does Islam guarantee a woman's security, freedom and peace actually in Marriage. A marriage as such as an institution is a religious obligation, not only in Islam but also in other religions. It enables mankind to multiply in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. The nikah or the marriage ensures that both involved parties, that is the man and the woman, respect each other's rights and duties towards each other. So it it helps women more because they're the one in the equation who go through pregnancy and bear the child. So religion defines the obligation of men, uh, the obligation they have towards their wives and children, such as giving of the meher at the time of the nikah um, is obligatory, and to look after one's wife and the children, of course. So in that way, the institution of marriage ensures the woman's security in that in the society that way however women's rights are not entirely ensured through marriage but rather also through the right to inherit property and wealth this is this is actually the revolutionary act in islam which mm-hmm. if implemented properly along with the education of the daughters would safeguard their rights their security and freedom and also it would be vital for the peace within the marriage so for instance, when the promised Messiah Islam, wanted to marry his older daughter, Hazrat Mubarka, uh, Hazrat Nawab Mubarka Saiba, he asked his future son-in-law to sign over some of his property to his daughter. Mm-hmm. So this shows how important and vital it is for a woman to be able to inherit from her father and her husband and to receive the meher in the marriage. So mm-hmm. it is the financial freedom and security of women which which helps women to be On an equal financially footing, inde- really. yeah and be financially independent. So all the decisions that they make aren't under 
coercion or that they stay in the marriage, it shouldn't be out of coercion, but it should be out of their own free will. Mm-hmm. So that would make, I think, the woman truly free and uh, enable her security and her uh, right within the society and within the marriage and mm. within all of these things. So I think, yes, marriage is one part, but inheritance is quite important and is I would say even more important that if implemented in the right way, ensures mm. her security. Because we see, I suppose, in um, a lot of, not just Western cultures, and I shouldn't really say that, but uh, in a lot of culture, or you know, globally now, that uh, you know, the rates of divorce are on the increase. And then thus you have this, I suppose, this fight for assets uh, and you know, the distinction of, oh, you know, what did you have before and after marriage? And I suppose with the true instigation of the the, the aspects of Islam that you've just uh, pointed out to our listeners there, then that would not really be uh, one of the considerations, really, uh, regarding that. And maybe that would go to lowering uh, divorce rates or actually have more of an equal footing between man and woman within a marriage. Now, moving on yeah. to my next question, uh, you know, how has the institution of Khilafat through the years ensured that, uh, in fact, Amdi women reach their uh, absolute potential in our society and get to exercise their rights freely? Well, there are, unfortunately, still many people um, who do not educate their daughters. There are still girls in this day and age, mm-hmm. and they're Ahmadi, who do not receive worldly or religious education and cannot read and write. Mm-hmm. These are realities that exist. Okay. So it needs to be tackled in the writings of Khulafa and the constant encouragement, which comes from the auxiliary organizations and the sermons and the book. It helps and encourages families to seek education and to become aware of the rights within Islam, which it has given to women. In this way, it could and it does have those who listen to it Mm -hmm. follow these guidelines. So, yes, it definitely helps um, in ensuring it because usually under cultural and societal pressure, people still think it's not important that women should get education. Mm -hmm. So basically what you're saying is although uh, you might claim to be a part of the uh, community and we're talking about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here, but don't just do it in uh, for face value. You must actually uh, heed the words of the Khalifa, His Holiness Mizra, Mizra, uh, ta- uh, sorry, Mizra Ahmad, uh, head of the worldwide uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community in regards to these aspects. Yes, because it is quite helpful for women and for mankind because women at the end also have to educate their children. Mm-hmm. So if women are not educated, then they, they, there's nobody to guide um, the community or the people that how vital it can be um, to give women education mm-hmm. and to, to make them empowered. And, Empower them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, for, yeah. for that it is quite vital. And I think... Also, after obtaining education, there's constant guidelines from, from Khalifa Tawbasi, the mm-hmm. fifth, um, how to go about in your life. And if you if one listens to it, 
it is quite helpful. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining me this afternoon on the Drive Time Show, Samira. Peace and blessings be upon you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wa alaikum salam. So uh, we're just coming up to the five o'clock news. Please join me after the five o'clock news when we'll be continuing with this subject regarding women's rights and actually who gets to decide them. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, uh, on Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Coming live to you from our studios here in South London. So we're talking today about women's rights and actually who gets to decide. So I just, uh, my last guest, Sumera, we were talking about as regards to in Islam and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the words of the Khalifa, the words of His Holiness and how they actually um, are a guideline to how uh, both men and women in uh, the community should live their lives. And those words are, are, I suppose, useless if we don't actually take them to heart and actually live and abide by them. And those uh, words that he gives, what I'm going to do now is actually play you an audio clip of his words. Um, and uh, this is His Holiness, and he's speaking about how uh, the women and men are created the same by God Almighty. One allegation often leveled against our religion is that it discriminates against women or considers them to be less than men. However, this is in complete contrast to Islam's true teachings. In chapter 4, verse 2 of the Holy Quran, the creation of human race is mentioned and it states that Allah created humankind from a single soul. Immediately after this, the Holy Quran states, Khalaka minha zawjaha, which means created therefrom its mate. In the Bible, where the creation of man and woman is uh, discussed, the concept of a mate is also mentioned. However, it goes on to say that a woman was created from the rib of Adam. This is contrary to the teachings of the Holy Quran, which clarifies that women were not created out of the body of a man or from his rib. Rather, the Quran testifies to the fact that men and women were created from a single soul and are of the same kind and species. Thus, where the Quran says, created therefrom its mate, it signifies that Allah Ta'ala has made men and women in the same way and it cannot be said that one is dominant over the other. Furthermore, when Allah the Almighty has said, Khalaka minha zawjaha, that he has created a woman in the same way that he 
created man, it becomes clear that Allah Ta'ala has made the hearts and minds of women in the same way that he has created the hearts and minds of men. There is no mention of woman being created from a man's rib. Rather, similarities and likeness are mentioned. Despite this, throughout history, there have been occasions where men have sought to prevent women from fulfilling their potential and responsibilities, whilst at other times, women have sought to stop men from fulfilling their duties and responsibilities. Whether due to a superiority complex or an inferiority complex, at times men have considered themselves to be intrinsically different to women, or women have considered themselves inherently different to men. However, the Holy Quran has categorically refuted this concept by saying that men and women are of the same kind. It has clarified that men and women have the same feelings and emotions. Similarly, as each man will be accountable before Allah for his deeds, so will each woman also be held accountable for her acts before God. So those were the words of His Holiness Mizra Ahmad, the head, uh, the <coughs> head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And, you know, pointing out that you know, th- there is no distinction between uh, in in the Holy Quran between men or women, and they are of equal, you know, are equal uh, in the eyes of God. And you know, if we look at in terms of you know the inequality, uh, I actually mentioned it with one of our guests right at the top of the show uh, about the uh, abortion ban in the U.S. Now about. Uh, so just to give a little bit more flesh to that, about half of the states are expected to actually allow bans or other limits on the procedure to take effect. 26 states are certain or likely to move quickly to ban abortion, uh, devastating uh, devastating abortion access or uh, across large parts of the country and causing potentially severe health, financial and emotional consequences for people, uh, especially those in marginalized countries. Um, Now, Oklahoma in late May became the first state to fully ban abortions with very limited exceptions and all abortion providers in the state were forced to stop offering care. Texas has had an abortion ban in effect since September 2021, uh, severely limiting care in the state. Both Oklahoma and Texas also have trigger bans in place. Now, most laws do not include exceptions for rape and incest and exceptions for the life of the mother are vague and will leave many physicians wondering if they must choose between breaking the law or breaking their faith. Now highlighting the privilege of Muslim women not needing to be handed their rights by men in comparison to non-Muslim women who had to campaign and seek their rights from men, uh, His Holiness said, Amadi 
was uh, sorry amdi muslim women should ask themselves that who are men to bestow rights upon them when their creator allah the almighty has himself bestowed upon them all they need and desire they should understand that allah has granted them true equality based on logic and wisdom now with that i'm joined or i will be joined by my next guest of this afternoon mansura minas who is a freelance writer and community organizer and a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Peace and blessings be upon you, Mansura. Thank you for joining me this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. So I've just like, uh, obviously the biggest, I suppose, uh, uh, tsunami, right, in women's rights uh, <laughs> issues uh, currently or recently has been this ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade uh, and the right really of a woman to decide whether she can have an abortion or not. Now, you know, when assessing the rights of women in society, I mean, how important is it to keep religion and culture separate because many of the misconceptions regarding Islam are born out of the way women are treated in some Muslim societies? Yeah, that's a very important question because it's uh, normally these things get mingled. People uh, misconstrue cultural practices with religion. Mm -hmm. As we know that Islam is a beautiful, uh, the beauty of Islam is its universality. And so when different cultures get together to follow one beautiful religion, it, it has the composite guidelines. So there's no bar in, you know, following the cultural norms and tradition. Islam only prohibits those uh, tra traditions or those uh, practices which go against the spirit of Islamic uh, injunctions. For example, those prom that promote shirk or excesses or extravagance or those that hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's very important to keep that uh, uh, separate culture from religion. And if, as long as something is within the realm of Islamic values and most of the cultures, they are beautiful traditions, so they're allowed. So overwhelmingly, Islam allows the embracing of one's culture because if it didn't, it would go against the you know inherent universality of Islam. Hmm. So, but only those that defy that. And you know, you're talking about the abortion ban and that. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, very. Um, you know, important to talk about it, that Islam gets maligned all the time. But now when these things are happening in the most developed country of the world, uh, such regressive and uh, laws that hurt women, there's no mention of Christianity being, uh, you know, subjugative to women. Mm. So there's this bias out there. Mm. I mean, you know, to expand upon that, you know, I mean, if all religions were supposedly to practice freedom of religion, you know, why is it always women who bear the brunt of actually religious and uh, society inequality? Yeah, that's a very tragic reality that we mm. see historically. And it's an historic fact that, you know, we women are considered to be subservient and subjugated to uh, women in almost all cultures. But uh, Islam is actually the only religion which guarantees complete equality to women in spiritual, social, and economic realm. 
So the the issue that we were ju- you were discussing here about like the abortion ban in the United States, if you look at the Islamic guidelines, everything is so crystal clear, but it gets muddled because um, of the way women have been historically treated in all Judeo-Christian uh, traditions too. Mm-hmm. So th- it's uh, those repressive ideals, you know, that have culminated to this point, and to date, you know, even the political realm. It's not even a religious issue like treatment of women. It's the systemic injustices. and But, you know, this has to be taken care of because women form 50% of the population. So this is a case of, this case of gender equality it continues to simmer in one form or the other. Mm. So this but is how, very how sad. Mansoor, but how can this gender uh, inequality be rectified? How can the scales... Yeah, be, yeah, be balanced in that sense. That when those scales, unfortunately, are controlled by, you know, the male gender. Yeah, so that is when you need. We need more. The first thing is that justice has to be. You know, justice is practice, and women are given equal rights as mm-hmm. guaranteed by Islam. Then you know this could be taken care of, and there need to be laws, and there need to be more women. You know voice in making these and those issues women need to represent themselves and not leave it to that but sadly what's happening is that for political expediency in america we see that even women jumping on the bandwagon bandwagon and you know uh, siding with these repressive laws so it is very very sad like you know recently what happened was that uh, uh, you know we are talking about the abortion ban mm-hmm. but its uh, repercussions are even worse and, you know, it's going to, you know, jeopardize the whole societal, you know, piece of the, uh, so it's going to have repercussions that are going to go way beyond that. <clears throat> For example, we are talking about abortion, but I was reading something yesterday, it just was so devastating, and I just wanted to bring it to your notice. I wanted to share it here, okay. that I just read that in Ohio, a woman, she was, uh, denied hysterectomy, a medically necessary procedure Mm -hmm. because of her cervical cancer, and she needed her husband's approval for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not talking about some um, regressive regime in Pakistan or like any third world country or like as the West wants to label the Muslim world. This is happening right here in the heart of America and Ohio. My God, so she she, she actually needed uh, her husband's permission to, yes. to to have a uh, a hysterectomy, you know, a life threatening yes. um, mm-hmm. procedure, but she still needed her husband's. Uh, it sounds uh, feudal. Yeah, it is very feudal. Mm. It's very feudal. You know, this is so horrific, and you know this abort. So this is how the society, even in America, I've been living here for the last twenty plus years, and I'm seeing this, you know, shift towards. Uh, regressive and subservient, uh, uh, you know, ideology creeping mm-hmm. in. And all of this stems from, uh, um, we are not going to blame Christianity for that, but, you know, but there's no mention of that, that all these lawmakers, uh, United States is a, is an overwhelmingly uh, Christian nation. Yeah, it's predominantly so Christian. They, they predominantly, and the right wing gets this inspiration, and they quote mm-hmm. the Bible, and in the abortion ban, we see the the 
Bible being quoted like um, save a life. I was driving along Ohio. Uh, as soon as you entered Ohio, I was driving from Florida. And, you know, every few miles there was this uh, sign of a fetus. And then there's this aggressive campaign to dupe the masses to say, mm. you know, for the abortion ban. So they are spending millions of dollars and the ignorant fall to that crap, even without understanding that this will have repercussions. It could have, you know, as we mentioned, that... Mm. Uh, well, far-reaching, I think. Far-reaching far uh, repercussions. Far Actually, uh, Mansur, on that point, yeah, I mean, in the case of Muslim women, you know, it's often seen that they are spoken uh, for and not actually spoken to. Now, as a Muslim woman yourself, you know, how have you dealt with this challenge uh, in, you know, in society where media uh, and society are that biased? You know, loves to, you know, media loves to stereotype a Muslim woman being spoken to as opposed to being spoken for. Yes. So there's this inherent bias uh, within, like some of it stems from within the Muslim world. Also, there's a cultural, you know, thing that women need not speak out in public and they don't have the right of expression. But then uh, even in America, we see that the media overwhelmingly has a bias. They don't give time to Islam and its traditions uh, to defend. You know, they normally call upon Muslim scholars or First of all, they give very minimal time, and even if they do, it's all for defensive. And when it comes to women, then it's even worse. And only women who are detractors or, you know, uh, as those who are in the defense, or if, even if they give those minute seconds, it's just to defend. Mm. So this is a deep-rooted bias, and it's very hard to crack. But fortunately for the way the social media is evolving and the independent news sources are coming, the, the Muslim women... I are increasingly having this opportunity to voice their opinions. Like, mm. I have been able to, you know, write op-eds and give interviews on different issues. And um, uh, sadly, you know, sometimes I feel like I have a degree in business and economics. I'm mostly called upon to talk about, we are always defending Muslim rights. But m women, Muslim women have way beyond that. Their capacities mm. are beyond that. They're doctors, engineers, astronauts. So they can talk about other issues too. Mm. So, but I think that time is coming that you know uh, that grass ceiling uh, needs to be broken and women mm. need to be considered as equal, you know, uh, agents of uh, you know in the society. And it is imperative the world hears the Muslim women and just women in general, even in the mm. abortion ban. Like women need to be talked to. I mean, I, I was. Yeah, I mean, I was speaking to uh, a guest earlier on in that, you know, it just seems to me, I mean, I'm a male, obviously. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell from my voice. But, um, you know, females uh, occupy, you know, effectively half the population of the world, but they don't seem to have that, um, that, 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 representation. Kind of like that representation at the highest levels. And I think that's where that glass ceiling needs to be smashed really uh you know in every society in every you know, every country uh, effectively that uh you know actually don't just look at uh females as being um like you said you know you you almost like rolled up because you're a muslim woman to talk about well the hijab or this why can't you talk about your area of special uh, specific sorry uh, specialization 
instead yeah right. uh, and then then I, I suppose you would be truly or you would maybe feel that truly that you are you know you do have uh, equality yes mm. but mm. I'm very fortunate that you know uh, to be born within uh, the Indian Muslim community and that we have those freedoms and I feel emancipated we are mm -hmm. allowed to hone our potential and our voices are heard voice of Islam is a great uh, you know service because you talk about various issues, and I've seen women address uh, a wide variety of issues, and there's no gender bias here. Mm. No, thank, thanks. Thanks for the big up there, Mansura. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate. It. No, no, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon. Thank you for joining me on the Drive Time Show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Peace and blessings be upon you. O two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight and uh tweet us at Voice of Islam uh, UK and uh, once again thank you Mansura for giving a big shout out to Voice of Islam. Um I'm actually gonna go straight to my next guest. Uh I've got with me uh Anam Islam, who's a lawyer and in charge of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association of Norway's translation department. Peace and blessings be upon you, Anam. Thank you for joining me on the Drive Time Show. Peace and blessings be upon you too. Jazakallah for having me. So we're talking about women's rights and actually who gets to decide those rights uh, today on the show. So in the case of, uh, and I feel I've uh, just with my previous guest Mansura that mm. you know I'm pigeonholing as well. Actually, that I'm falling into that stereotype of uh, talking to as opposing uh, or talking for as opposing talking mm -hmm. to women, right? But mm. you know. It is what it is. So in the case of Muslim women, it is often seen that they are spoken uh, not, uh, sorry, spoken for and not spoken mm -hmm. to. Now, what do you feel, right, needs to actually change, you know, for this to, to be dispelled? Mm. So I would like to continue a bit on what uh, Sister Mansoura said earlier about, mm -hmm. for instance, the work that you're doing in Voice of Islam, where you bring up all these important issues and you have women addressing those issues as well as men, mm -hmm. alongside men. And I find that to be very inspiring and is a very good way of, of in practice showing how Muslim women are indeed liberated. They're mm -hmm. free, they're not oppressed or anything like that because you're talking to women, you're making their voices heard. And that's very important. That's the first thing that trying to implement uh, the female voice in, in, uh, in gatherings mm. where... Uh, in everyday life, really. In everyday life, exactly, yeah. and where big topics are discussed. And we have that happening, for instance, in mosques. I know many mosques, for instance, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and my local mosque, and I know this happens on the entire world, in the entire world, is when big, large um, uh, ha meetings happen, you have female representatives as well as male representatives sitting there to make plans for the entire community. It's mm -hmm. not just, <clears throat> sorry, the men making the decisions. You have women also making decisions, and that's very good. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I you know there are places where this doesn't happen, but that's a good example. The biggest, most important thing is obviously you have to talk to Muslim women themselves instead of always talking about them, which is a very big problem in the Western society specifically. But unfortunately, when I address this with um, uh, people I know who work in politics or as journalists or as other big society leaders of some sort, they say that Muslim women are so hard to reach. They're, they're, we don't know where to reach them. We don't know mm -hmm. where to find them. 
And I remember I used to work uh, uh, in the outreach, I used to work as in charge of the outreach department earlier. And I remember what we then decided was, okay, you guys don't know how to access us. Let's uh, come and meet you in your place. Let's come to your office. Let's come to your church. Let's come to your the parliament. Let's come mm-hmm. to the um, city housing and everything. Like we went to the places where we know that our voice needs to be heard. We mm-hmm. went to the big places. We had those meetings because they were saying they couldn't access us. Okay, let's go to your place then. So, so how did that turn place. out? That turned out really well. And that ended up with them, after doing that a few times, it ended up with them easily um, sending us emails when they okay. needed to have make decisions about big things uh, or mm-hmm. their uh, like local ministers and stuff started coming to our mosque to talk to us because they finally found that we managed to build that bridge that was needed for them to cross over and come mm-hmm. to us because apparently that was very scary and they didn't know. Because unfortunately, we have to realize that there is a perception out there that Muslim women are closed behind doors. Mm-hmm. And un- unfortunately for us, but, maybe but, sometimes we have to do the work. Of but, but why ourselves. is that, Anam? Why yeah. is that? I mean, why why is there mm-hmm. this portrayal? I mean, you're in Norway. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Scandinavian country, which um, mm-hmm. I'm from. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a kid here in the UK. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from my point of view, the Scandinavian countries are much more liberal, much more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Why is it then that they mm-hmm. still have this, you know, this deep-seated mm-hmm. perception that actually, you know, what Muslim women, mm-hmm. they don't talk. They mm-hmm. kind of like. You know, they're they're living at home and they're kept behind closed doors. I mean, that's just, that's archaic. Mm. Mm. It is, it is. And I I still find it really weird when I um, read news articles and I find those comments underneath. Obviously, they are trolls. Most majority of those people are writing a lot of that stuff, but still finding so many voices having those deep thoughts about uh, Muslim women being so oppressed and hidden is is really odd for me, especially considering that we now have Muslim women in the parliament here. We have Mm -hmm. Muslim women have been in positions of a minister, like we have Muslim women everywhere. But still you see that thought. And I honestly, I would say that I would, unfortunately, I'm also uh, studying journalism, but I would still say that media has played a huge role in this. Media, mm. movies, popular film culture, and mm-hmm. uh, also Muslim countries themselves. Themselves, so they're, they're uh, yeah, to yeah, blame. Unfortunately, to a they are point. to blame. Yeah, and that unfortunately, it's always the negative news that will be highlighted by the media, and that's the fact because that's what what they, gives them clicks, and that's what gives them money, uh, and more ads, and all of that, and. When you have uh, happening in, for instance, let's use Saudi Arabia as an example, where women couldn't drive before and uh, you had that being highlighted like crazy and everyone thought that, presumed that maybe that's how Islam is because Saudi Arabia says that they're a Muslim country. If something happens in Iran, if, if a woman is stoned to that death because she didn't wear something, do something wrong, then obviously people are going to start thinking that's how Islam is. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, those negative incidents will be blown up in the media, the positive incidents. The positive things, for instance, the fact that Pakistan as a Muslim country was one of the world's first countries to have a female prime minister when USA as the most progressive country, in quotation marks, mm-hmm. the most progressive country has never had a female president. 
a so vice president though, kind of, almost yeah, 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 yeah almost <laughs> but that's been like it's it's been it's there are many years since this should have happened many years ago mm, but mm. that's that these kind of things aren't highlighted unfortunately yeah, so let's, i would let's... say that's probably that's the thing is, yeah, let's, let's not talk about the Supreme Court overturning uh, Roe Roe versus Wade. Now, okay, so you, you know, this is what you're saying about, but you, uh, about Norway. But Norway's, you know, seen a recent, uh, you know, recently seen a rise in anti-Islamic demonstrations, right, or anti-Islam demonstrations. So, you know, you've said, you know, there, there is a role that Muslim women play in Western society, and you've seen, you know, the the I suppose the uh, penetration of Muslim women in um, in the political sphere. So mm. why is that then? Why why is uh, you know is, is are we seeing that in Norway then this rise in anti-Islamic <sighs> sentiment? Uh, unfortunately, the Norwegian society is a very free, we don't care kind of society, okay. and it's very easy to go out on the streets with uh, a banner of any sort, and no one will. Care hear what you're saying or what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, our police is very very uh, freedom of speech is okay. very very high up uh, for the police here they say that one of the most important tasks they have they can come out in the media all the time saying this is that freedom of speech is incre- incredibly important for us so that's why we're going to allow this but one thing that I have noticed is that, and I know many people have noticed this when studying all these incidents, is that whenever Muslim people, uh, Muslims have reacted to these Quran burnings, to these demonstrations, mm-hmm. they have started doing more of them. They love those reactions. The, the organization, which uh, the name of the organization is Stop Islamification of Norway, mm-hmm. whenever they see that they get a reaction out of people, they start doing more of it. Recently, the last one that happened was outside a mosque in uh, in uh, south side of Oslo, and uh, two women, uh, a Quran was burnt, uh, unfortunately, and two women decided to chase the man who burnt the Quran. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a full-on car chase, a really dangerous situation created on the highway, and the, the car of those men who burnt the Quran was was hit and they were badly injured. Mm-hmm. And those both those women obviously were, were taken by the police and um, went to jail. But and that unfortunately made our cause worse um, because then people who didn't care about these burnings and people were ignoring them. People didn't even know that this was happening every week before this incident happened. Um, but yeah, the sympathy then again moved from Muslims back mm, to these mm, freedom mm. of speech warriors. So I would say that reacting is probably the reason why more of this happens. It happened in Sweden is where it got really ignited. Uh, mm. We had a lot of it happening there, but you had all these youth groups attacking these Quran burners and there were loads of um, violent protests by by uh, Muslim men, mm-hmm. uh, most probably, yeah, all of them were men most probably, and uh, all of that sort of made gained gave them more sympathy, gave them more followers. I suppose, mm-hmm. Anam, you know, if you are uh, a true follower of Islam, mm-hmm. um, and you can see where uh, the, there are verses in the Quran which uh, mm-hmm. deal with you know an attack, you know, the jihad, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. on your religion. Um, but if you take that, I suppose, if you look at the 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 breadth of the Quran of what it teaches mm. us. Uh, as being a true Muslim is to, mm. you know what, regardless of what someone does to you or your faith, you defend your faith, but to a certain, you know, to a certain limit. 
and to exceed ways of doing it. yeah it, to exceed that limit and to actually take it to uh, physical violence mm. um given the world that we live in today you know that that mm. is going to spark uh, a reaction and unfortunately i think uh, i was speaking to a guest earlier on um and i was likening uh, actually um you know women's fights for their rights as actually mm. you know unfortunately you kind of the perception is that actually you're a minority although Absolutely. by numbers you're a major, you know you're you're equal right to to mm. males but mm. because you're having to fight for your rights and constantly fight it's uh it's i would I'm, i was trying to think of some kind of analogy but i was like mm. you know walking through quicksand right mm. so the minute mm. you stop you're going to sink so you yeah. have to keep on doing it but in terms of like this protecting your 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 um your religion and defending islam i think uh, his holiness mr masrur mm. ahmed uh, mm. the head of the worldwide ahmadiyya muslim community said Look, you know the anything we can really do is pray absolutely. right absolutely absolutely and the prayer is the most important thing we have the most important weapon we have hmm. so actually i, I mentioned uh, the roe versus wade case mm. yeah and the abortion mm. ban now in the united states now some even use this as an opportunity to criticize islam again uh, mm. And, you know, suppose the threat it poses to Western society when Islam actually mm. allows abortion in certain mm. cases. Um, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, could you elaborate on this? Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I actually find this uh, when when uh, this case was overturned, I actually thought it, was, it would be interesting to just take a look at the laws uh, mm -hmm. for abortion in Muslim countries and see how they are practicing the, the Islamic ruling on this and mm. how it's it's executed in practice. And it was very interesting to see that countries in Africa and Asia where Muslims are majority, in all those countries, you're allowed to uh, get an abortion if there's something, uh, if there are health issues with the fetus or health issues that could be endanger uh, the health of the woman carrying the, the baby, mm -hmm. the, the mother, yeah, they can get an abortion. And and that's why I find it extremely ironic that Islam is once again being, I've read all those comments, I've read many comments that Islam once again was brought up as, as oh yeah, no, it's, it's, it's evil, all religion are evil, Islam also doesn't allow, la, la, la. it's all of that basic stuff that you always mm -hmm. read all the time. But if you take a look at Muslim countries, well, women can go from USA to Pakistan and get an abortion. It's mm -hmm. like, look at the irony. Of, it's like they can go to Pakistan yeah. and they they are legally allowed to get an abortion if it's well, uh, I mean, if this would endanger their health. To be honest, Adam, they don't need to really get the flight from wherever it is to Pakistan. They can yeah. just go go across state. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even yeah, in their own is. state. The, yeah. yeah. In the yeah, I know that. So I uh, actually, uh, His Holiness Mr. Masroor Ahmed Mialabi, his helper, actually did uh, answer this quite quite well earlier as well. When uh, when a young woman asked him this question, I think this was around uh, end of May, early June, and he he, I would like to quote that answer actually, where he mm -hmm. once again highlighted that Islam allows abortion if it harms the woman's health. If the baby isn't developing properly and you can mm -hmm. see already that the baby isn't going to survive, uh, most probably there will be, be some, some complications during birth. Are there are any other issues that are going to harm the mother's health, then you're allowed to take an abortion. Mm -hmm. Also, in case of rape, mm -hmm. she's allowed to take an abortion where, uh, where he actually quite well explained where society will raise a finger towards 
the mother the or the baby yeah. of this or the offspring and and she wouldn't be accepted or wouldn't be safe in society after mm-hmm. after giving birth to the baby then she can also also then take an abortion the only the only thing islam has said that you're not supposed to take an abortion if finances is your main mm. concern because yeah. allah has said that he is the provider if mm. he if he sets someone on earth he he provides for them he has made the plans for for that specific person to be provided so that's the only thing but mm-hmm. in other health issues and all the health cases like yeah, it's just instance, all they, common sense yeah. issues yeah, yeah exactly. it's, it, it rules rules in in favor yeah. of the mother or in favor of yeah, the yeah. female really um, because she is the one who provides life and if something's gonna yeah. go wrong with her then obviously you're supposed yeah. to this yeah. nice. well adam uh it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon thank you for joining me on the drive time show Jazakallah for having me. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam uh, UK uh, to you know just join in the conversation. Give me uh, give me a, a look in there uh, and see you know do you do you agree you know that uh, women's rights uh, you know who should decide them? But uh, without further ado, I'm joined by my next guest, Dr. Anna Peel. Uh, Pila, sorry. Uh, Anna is a scholar of gender and Islam, and her areas of expertise include feminism in Islam, Eastern European Islam, and Islam in popular culture and digital culture. Peace and blessings be upon you, Anna. Thank you for joining me on the Drive Time Show. Uh, good afternoon and salam alaikum. I think this is my first time on Voice of Islam, so thank you for having me again. Okay, uh, so it's your first time on Voice of Islam, and you're thanking us for no, having no, you again. Fourth, I think it's fourth. Oh, fourth time. Okay, <laughs> sorry, yeah. it's it's my hearing. Sorry, Anna. Uh, no, more than welcome, more than welcome. So we're talking about women's rights, and you know, actually, who gets to write those rights or come up with those rights. Now, several countries have been uh, introducing different legislations in recent years that targets women's choice in public life. Whether we look at, uh, you know, I've been saying it so far uh, during the show today, Roe versus Wade, uh, the hijab ban uh, in in Denmark and in, in France, or its enforcement. You know, what are the implications of these actions on women's confidence and actually their standing in society? Um, yeah. Um, so, in, in none of these cases, uh, you know, we mentioned Roe Ro, Ro v. Wade, mm-hmm. hijab bans, um, or hijab enforcement in some countries. I would say that in none of these cases, legislators have women's interests at heart. Right. Um, because you know, um, this is this is legis- legislative action for political gain. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. It's widespread. It's global. And I would say, you know, it adds insult to injury when legislators um, in different countries say these bans are for women's own good. That's very often, you know, what you hear. And I think um, that's, that's, that's just very, very offensive. Um, um, a few months ago, I pu- published an essay actually in an online magazine called um, Religion and Politics. And I titled that article, Burqa Enforcement and Burqa Bans, Where, Where Extremist Policies Meet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in the article, I just um, sort of I was making a case for how such policies really um, stem from this. They, they, they flow from the same root idea. Um, then that paternalism towards women, mm-hmm. telling women that, you know, somebody else knows best what they should wear. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we, we could definitely add trampling on reproductive rights um, to that bag. 
in the United States um, and a lot of other countries in my native Poland, um, the ban on abortion has been recently tightened. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, women do not feel like, don't, don't feel like full citizens in, in those situations, in these kinds of political contexts. They, they cannot feel, feel full, um, they cannot feel as full members of society. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think what's important to add, um, to, to, to sort of in, to, to, to this, to, to this, Sort of case is that most of these bans, uh, well, here in Europe, the, um, the Burka bans, but also the Roe v. Ro- Ro- Wade in America, they generally target or affect um, ethnic and racial minority women the most. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, obviously, Burka bans or hijab bans target mostly women who are um, majority of them who are non-white, and I think that um, that basically is concealed racism on the part of the. You know, the legislators who are, you know, let, let's not beat about the bush, you know, mm-hmm. majority white men uh, and white upper class men um, who are wealthy and privileged. And so, you know, these women, women in the United States, of course, the Roe v. Wade, um, yeah, it affects all women, but it is the racial and ethnic minority women who are generally, um, you know, in a situation where yeah, they're, they're on they the receiving end, on, aren't they? Really? Yes. They rely, they rely on local access to, um, so, you know, to abortion because, um, because white women are gen- generally, you know, as statistics say, they have, mm-hmm. they're more wealthy, so they can afford better to, to travel somewhere else. So these women who are being targeted by this legislation, you know, they also have to deal with racism and Islamophobia on top of all these new rights that be, um, all, all those additional rights that are being denied to them. So, mm. so yeah, so, there's so, no way they could feel. Mm. It's just occurred to me, Anna, as you were, uh, you know, answering that question. Um, in terms of, you know, with these legislators, then, yeah, and you, you said, you know, the, who are these legislators? And in the majority of them are, you know, uh, well-to-do white males, right? So, you know, it seems that women are, you know, tirelessly speaking about their rights. I mean, so. You know, isn't it falling on deaf ears then? I mean, where does the onus lie on moving towards a more egalitarian society between the sexes? Hmm. I mean, yeah. Um, that was a very heavy it, sigh. It is a very heavy, <laughs> heavy question. And I think if the answer to that question was... Um, um, oh, no, maybe, maybe I should start from the other end. Um, okay. Because, yeah, um, I think actually... Making a, a society egalitarian is is probably logistically not that difficult. And mm-hmm. speaking from the perspective of you know women's rights, um, you know invest in women, um, invest in women's education through you know additional funding, additional grants, cre- create women friendly jobs, create women and family friendly policies that secure employment for women who choose to work outside the home, and of course when it comes to their religious and ethical personal choices, leave them well alone. You know, mm-hmm. that, that sounds, you know, that sounds like to me, um, you know, it is, you know, as, as far as blueprint, it's not so difficult. But I think what lacks, um, lacks here is political will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in governments and parliaments that are composed mostly of men, and, you know, me, I mean, look at Boris Johnson. If Boris Johnson, who publicly ridiculed Nikabi women, mm-hmm. the, he called them names, terrible names in his mm-hmm. Daily Telegraph article, I think it was 2018 or yeah. 2017, Something I can't remember. Something about pillar boxes. Uh, around that. Um, you know, what can you expect from a government that is formed by the said Boris Johnson? You know, mm. this disdain this, this for women, this disdain this for ethnic minority women, religious women, 
um, you know, basically just, you know, flows from the top. And so, yeah, such governments and, and parliaments, power, power groups, are in, they're just bound with um, other power sort of agents, um, so corporations, powerful lobbies, industries. All these agents are interested in tax breaks. They're not interested in equitable chances for everyone, women, mm-hmm. um, you know, any minorities. Power concerns power. So, you so know, what you're saying is that these, these, these organizations well not organizations but these i suppose uh vested um cliques really yeah just want to keep power in their in, you know in their control and they, they they're not willing to you know break down or not break down but to improve society towards that uh, well that equal uh, egalitarian goal of you know between the sexes um, yes, I think that's that's true. That's not in their interest. What's in their interest is to conserve their power and their wealth. And so I'm, I might sound like a revolutionary here, but I think really, <laughs> not um, really. <laughs> in order to get a better society and a happier society, we really need to replace the political class. Mm. Um, yeah, we need to, political class who have at heart the interest of many, not just the wealthy few, not the you know the you know not not the groups in power. So but- I think yeah, I think culture really connects you know, cultural issues that we're discussing, like rights and cultural values, mm. they connect to economy, um, they connect to money. Um, it's just, I think that's maybe not, not explored that, that much. Mm. But I suppose, Anna, right, uh, I'm looking, you know, from my scant grasp of history, that there does come a, a, a crisis point in all societies whereby the masses, actually, there is a, an epiphany in the masses, whereby they, they look and they say, Actually, we're really getting a rubbish deal here. Mm. And you know what? The only way that we are going to truly rewrite, you know, rewrite some of the wrongs, yeah, or write some of the wrongs, I should say, is to actually, mm. you know, revolt. And we've seen that historically, really. Um, say, for instance, uh, in Russia. Um, mm. you know, uh, when the Bolsheviks, yeah, came. And, you know, we've seen that in a lot of countries whereby, you know what, the rule, that, that minority ruling class um, has exceeded their, I suppose, their greed, their, their want for control. Uh, and I know I'm kind of like expanding this this uh, this topic, I suppose, outside of its, its, its realm of just women. But, you know, women are, you know, part of that, you know that that conversation as well right you know when you are a minority although not in um in number terms but in terms of what you can say and what you can imp- you know do uh, regarding your rights then yes you know women are a minority as as are you know uh, if you you know are of color yeah you're a minority and unfortunately, those minorities now, may, well, maybe there is that perfect storm coming up. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, when, when Trump was elected here in the States in 2016, everybody in my, my sort of social networks was sort of tearing their hair out of their heads, thinking <laughs> how, you know, saying, how could this happen? And yeah. actually, one a very interesting um, observation that was, 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 was being made was that, yes, I mean, um, here we've got men and women, and technically, you know, women women should be against Trump. They should be, you know, for, you know, for the, for the, for Hillary Clinton, the, you know, the female yeah, candidate, right? Yeah, yeah, it should have but, been a given. Um, 
but actually, you know, the the the, the loyalties, the, the sort of um, the 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 assignations don't necessarily always um, sort of follow gender. I think specifically in the states, um, I think those those loyalties follow um, the racial identity, mm-hmm. and so um, a lot a lot of you know and the data showed that that a lot of white women, specifically evangelical women, um, voted for Trump um, because Trump really was uh, what he was proposing was you know securing the rights and the privileges of the white uh, population of the United mm-hmm. States, mm-hmm. Whether, whereas Clinton had you know she had at least you know more sort of um, plans that, that sort of were prom- promising a more equitable so- society. Mm-hmm. And so for these white women, I think at that point, their whiteness, their racial identity, Trump, Trump, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, trumped the... Um, you know, intended, the, the loyalty, yeah. um, loyalty, um, you know, um, to, to, to other women uh, mm-hmm. who might be women of color, who might be, you know, w- women who are minorities here, you know, suddenly... It was about preservation of that racial privilege, and mm-hmm. I think it's very likely that you know that that's that's similar similar in the UK. Oh yeah, I mean, I've for sure. Following you know the, the elections very much since I left, but I would imagine that there will be a group of privileged um, you know white British women who will be voting Tory because um, you know. The, 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 that racial privilege, um, the preservation of privilege, is more important mm. than you know rights for all women, um, mm. as it were. Exactly. Well, uh, Dr. Anna Piel, Pila, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, thank you for joining me on the Drive Time Show today. Thank you very much, and have thank a great you. day. You too, as well. O two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or tweet us at Voice of Islam uh, UK. Uh, just before I go on to my next guest, I'd actually we do have an Insta story, and I would be a bit remiss if I didn't give you the uh, the, the, the 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 results of that. So we asked uh, which law uh, do you, is the most unjust: uh, anti-abortion uh, in in the U.S., anti-bikini in France, mandatory hijab in Iran, uh, anti-burqa in Denmark, and the outright winner with 48% was anti-abortion in the USA. And with that, uh, I'm joined by my uh, last guest of the day, Reem Shreki. And uh, now Reem is uh, a life devotee of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Peace be upon you, Reem. Thank you for joining me on the Drive Time Show. Assalamualaikum. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, now we've been talking about women's rights and mm-hmm. who gets to decide them. Now, as Muslims, you know, our primary purpose in life is to worship God Almighty and to fill, mm-hmm. fill His rights and His rights of His creation uh, to His you know fellow brother. So, mm-hmm. with this in mind, how is the spiritual status of a person judged and actually rewarded by Allah Taala, the Almighty? You know, there is a verse in the Holy Quran which uh, really comforts my heart greatly in this mm-hmm. regard. It says, well, was no al-haq, And the weighing on, the, on that day will be true. Mm-hmm. That is when people receive the reward of, this, of their uh, deeds from Allah on the day of judgment, everything that hinders the spiritual advancement of a person and every harm that he has been exposed to due to reasons beyond his control, will be taken into account. But I think your intent of the question whether, you know, um, there are uh, any differences in, in that between males and females. And mm-hmm. the answer to that uh, from the Holy Quran is no. As the spiritual commandments in the Holy Quran are the same to men and women, 
And the way to excel in spirituality is the same for men and women. Allah says in the Holy Quran, but whoso does good works, whether male or female, and he or she is a believer, such shall enter heaven and shall not be wronged. Mm. So throughout the Holy Quran, believing men and women have been addressed equally. The commandments are equal for both of them and rewards are equal for both too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, uh, and I think as non-Muslims, um, mm-hmm. don't fully appreciate, I think, uh, is is my way of, of viewing it, where they don't fully mm-hmm. appreciate that a true Muslim, whether he be or she be mm-hmm. male, female, uh, of whatever racial identity, uh, mm-hmm. it does, rich or poor. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. In the eyes of God, exactly. it's actually your your righteousness and your nearness exactly. to God, which will actually right. determine uh, how well you've done, really, in, in, in the game of life, let's say. Right. So in modern society, Reem, you know, there's a heavy emphasis on social integration between different communities, you know, if you've moved to a new country, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. Now, sometimes it's said that Muslim women aren't as comfortable in integrating with their wider society. I mean, how mm-hmm. true is this in your opinion? You know, women's role in Islam is not just confined within home or just as mothers. Islam mm-hmm. from the outset encouraged women to seek knowledge wherever they can. And this is what Muslim women have done throughout the history. Mm-hmm. So we see throughout the ages that the the, the women have become doctors, nurses, teachers, scientists, jurists, leaders, and so on. And in modern era, let's say the Ahmadi Muslim women who live in in the in the West, for example, uh, I will take this example: the Ahmadi Muslim women in the West, who are of course the followers of the true teachings of Islam. They are very useful members of the society. They Many of them work as doctors, lawyers, teachers, pharmacists, architects, and accountants, to name just a few. And many of those who don't work, they are still useful members of the community and integrate and help the immediate community, which in turn helps to build the nation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the, uh, I mean, the veil, you know, in Islam, mm-hmm. you know, the burqa uh, is most probably the most, yeah, uh, in terms of Islam, or in terms of the perception of Islam, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. is, you know, scrutinized as one of the, its most, um, I suppose, you, you attention, see, uh, you know, attracting uh, concepts with uh, by its critics, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Non-Muslims. Now, what mm-hmm. makes it so controversial and questionable to so many? When actually, if you are a true uh, believer, it's just another, I suppose, prerequisite, yeah, and choice, I should say, also, of exactly. of, of women a, in 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 you know Muslim culture. It's like uh, any piece of clothes, like hats, like anything. But you know, something that if a woman is wearing hijab or niqab, then that prevents her from progressing, or it means that she is inferior to man. Mm-hmm. This can be true in the old scriptures, but the Holy Quran is crystal clear that men and women are equal in faculties, in spirituality, and in everything. But of course, every one of them is having different roles to, to play and different responsibilities, but otherwise, everything is the same. So, 
in the same manner, in the Holy Quran, both males and females were commanded to wear modestly, and this does not diminish of them. Mm. I mean, I think what uh, a lot of Western culture or Western media would like us to think or mm -hmm. disregard is that actually, you know what, um, obviously, you know, males in Muslim culture are so way that way inclined that they require their females to wear these, you know, these accoutrements, yeah, to hide their their, their physical appearance. And, right. you know, that is a shortcoming of Islam. But, you know, um, this is, you know, this is a matter of choice. Mm -hmm. It is like you, we are commanded to pray. Mm -hmm. No one can force you to pray. You have to do it by yourself. And if you are not doing it, then your matter is with Allah. He mm -hmm. will be the one to, uh, you but, know, you will be accountable to him only. And so, this is the same. Okay. So, yeah. Reem, can I just interject there? Can you just for you know, our non-Muslim listeners out there, you know, point right. out, actually, what is the injunction regarding purda, regarding modesty, in terms of not just the woman, but men? You know, before Allah addressed women and requested them to have the purda, He asked or He commanded the men to lower their gaze. Exactly. So this is their, their purda. They have to lower their gaze when speaking to a strange woman in the sense that she is not their wives or daughters or aunties and so on. So they were addressed firstly to lower their gaze. And also in the mosque, we see that you all the men are putting hats also, caps in, on their heads. So even to that level, the modesty is required from, from men. Of course, they cannot have the exact parda like women because they are the breadwinner. They have to go out. They have mm -hmm. to be... Uh, you know, here and there, and for, as I said, because they are the breadwinner in Islam. A woman is allowed, of course, to work, but if she chose to sit at home and to look after her kids, the man cannot force her to do work mm -hmm. because he is responsible. Even if she works, he is responsible for her financial uh, matters. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is all to create the modesty in society and to create that society which is following morality and mm -hmm. you know to establish the relationship between men and women in a healthy way let's say excellent well uh reem thank you for joining me uh on the drive time show today uh it's been a pleasure me. talking to you have a good day thank you very much thank you thank, thank you, you. As -salam so that Pretty much brings us to the end of uh, Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Just a quick uh, shout out to our producers and researchers, Aisha Naseem and Sunya Atwal. Thank you very much for the show that you've produced. Uh, a big shout out to our technician uh, out there, Zishan. And uh, that's all from me, Talib Man, on Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Here's the six o'clock news. <laughs>